You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. How much do you know about vaginal births after surgery, commonly referred to as a VBAC? Probably not a lot if you have only had vaginal births and maybe a little if you've had a cesarean section. Hazel Keedle knows a lot about VBACs. She's just completed her PhD in the subject. Hazel is also a lecturer in midwifery at Western Sydney University. Hi, Hazel. How are you? Hi. um, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. So why did you choose VBACs for your PhD studies? I chose it because I had one. Um, So for my first baby was an unplanned caesarean due to breach. And then within the year, I was having another baby and I planned a VBAC. And I had a VBAC, but it was not an easy journey. And it made me, I was a midwife as well, and it made me really question how we support women who plan a VBAC and um, really how do other women have a VBAC when it was so challenging for myself and I had all this knowledge of being a midwife. So as you said, it's not easy to have necessarily to have a VBAC. It's not the most straightforward thing. Were you recommended to have another C-section with your second child? Well, there is the term once a caesarean, always a caesarean, but that goes back in history and that goes back to when caesareans used to be the big vertical up and down scars. And then the next time round, um, it was recommended to have a repeat one only because that used to be able to almost unzip and have a rupture, which was quite a dangerous thing to have. But once the caesarean's um, procedures went down to being a lower a lower transverse scar that we know of now, then it, you weren't getting the same kind of rupture statistics and it was seen as a safe as a safe procedure but unfortunately that doesn't seem to have really translated into health professionals minds and when I got pregnant for my second child it was actually much much quicker than I had originally planned and I was only about four I was about six months old six he was about six months old when I realized and that I was pregnant and so there was only going to be 13 months between them um, I then went and did lots of reading and I got very stressed by the fact that, you know, an, a shorter interpregnancy interval would not be uh, recommended for having a VBAC. And it did slightly increase my uterine rupture um, risk. But we're going from a less than 1% chance of having a, a uterine risk after about 15 months to a 2% chance of having a uterine rupture. So I went to my husband and I went, oh my gosh, I can't have, I can't have a VBAC. You know, I I need to have a repeat cesarean. I've got a 2% chance of having uterine rupture. And he just said, you know, it's more dangerous to get in the car and drive to the hospital. You've got a much higher chance of, of being injured that way. And then I thought, yes, actually 2%. I'm quite happy with those odds. Um, And I went for having a VBAC. I had a suspicion that it wouldn't be supported, so I uh, I didn't really interact with with doctors um, and other midwives during my pregnancy. Uh, I was going to work; I'd get them to check my blood pressure and my heart rates, but I was a bit concerned that it wouldn't be supported. And once I was in labour, I was right; there was a lot of pressure because of this this shorter time. But I was determined. I really wanted to have a vaginal birth, having a cesarean, which wasn't originally planned home birth was really 
challenging for me. Not only was it challenging physically, but it was challenging psychologically for me. And I and I really felt that I needed that vaginal birth experience. And I'm glad I did because once I had pushed her out of my vagina, I felt amazing. I felt healed from my previous experiences. I felt powerful. I thought, if I can do this, I can do anything. And that's the feeling that I really wanted to explore in other women. I wanted to know whether I was just some kind of weird nerdy birth freak uh, um, (laughs) whose whose granny had been a midwife who had, you know, always encouraged me to follow midwifery and tell me how amazing women's bodies are and how amazing birthing is. I thought maybe that was just me or do other women feel this amazing after their VBAC as well? So um, I'd love to come back to that and find and hear about what you found with your PhD when you were talking to women who've had VBACs. But you touched on the risks there in terms of uterine rupture, if that's the right way of saying it. Yes. What were the, are there other risks associated with having a VBAC or is that the main thing that medical professionals are worried about? Well, once you've had a cesarean, you have three types of birth that you may have for your next birth. You may have an elective cesarean, you may have a vaginal birth after cesarean, or you might have an, a repeat emergency cesarean. So you know you may have a repeat elective or a repeat emergency cesarean or have this vaginal birth. When we when we look at the maternal and neonatal outcomes for all those three different types of birth, the elective, the emergency caesareans, and then VBAC. VBAC does much, much better in both maternal and neonatal outcomes. There's there's less bleeding, there's less rates of infection, less rates of injury, um, and higher rates of breastfeeding and less stays in hospital. And that is, uh, if we then look at elective versus emergency cesarean, then there are higher rates of of bleeding, higher rates of infection, longer stays in hospital uh, with the emergency cesarean. So, and then then the elective cesarean. So it's, that can be where the language can get a little bit confusing because you might be told, well, if you plan a VBAC, you may have an emergency cesarean and then all these extra things might happen. But the same can also happen with an elective cesarean, but less injury and less infection, mainly because it's it's timed and there's no rush. Uh, but the VBAC does better out of all of those um, three options, but not every single woman having or planning a VBAC will be able to have a VBAC. And about, um, about 70% of women, dependent on birth location and dependent on, on the healthcare provider, they're the biggest impacts on whether or not you'll have a VBAC or not. Some women will have to have a repeat emergency cesarean. So why, if that's the case that VBAC outcomes are better for mother and child, why did you find it so difficult to have that support when you decided to have a VBAC and why is it so difficult for women to have VBACs? I know, right? It just doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> and if we look at our our VBAC rates, in Australia we only have a 12 to 14% VBAC rate. The large majority of women will have a repeat cesarean. But why does that happen? So I guess we can kind of look internationally. Is this just what happens? Um, but no, there are some countries out there that have um, over 50% VBAC rate. And then there are others that, you know, sit, sit in the 40s and the 30s. And then there's us that sit at, you know, 12 to 14 and we match the US. So I think it's 
less to do with the woman's ability to be able to have a VBAC and much more to do on the beliefs and support available through healthcare providers and healthcare systems. I would have thought if that was me and I was in that situation, I think I'd be scared in, in terms of what I'm, I'd be capable of doing. And I have heard women say the OB or whoever it was recommended that I get another cesarean because I could have a uterine rupture. I'm not sure that any percentages were mentioned, but just the thought that it could happen, women decided, okay, I, this is the safest thing to do. Is is that what you found in your studies, that women were afraid? Well, I really looked at women's reasons for planning a VBAC and their experiences of planning a VBAC. But we do know when we look at birth trauma research, and by birth trauma, I mean the you know, psychosocial impact of, of a traumatic birth experience, not just the physical impact. We do see that women who've had a traumatic birth experience tend to go one of both ways if they've had a cesarean. They tend to either be really wanting the VBAC and fighting for that VBAC or choosing the elective cesarean, which is the, the known procedure and, and feel that there can be some control in that. that. That makes it a bit tricky to say, well, you know, is that then the best choice to be made? Again, if we look internationally, there are some some countries that actually address this and they look at fear of fear of birth um, and women who've had a traumatic birth experience and give them support, psychological support, midwifery support and continuity of care to then see that VBAC is the norm and that they try and give as much support for women who are then fearful of what could happen to work towards getting the birth that they really want and realising that, that the, the VBAC should be the first choice rather than the second or third choice. So going back to what you mentioned um, when you were trying to find out whether you were a crazy birth nerd or if other people, other women had a similar experience, what did you find with your studies about that experience? Well, the first study I did was for a master's honours degree at Western Sydney University and I looked at women's experiences of those of having a home birth after cesarean. So these are women who planned a VBAC but planned a VBAC at home and out of the hospital system and that happens. Right. And actually if we look at home birth data there's a lot there's a lot of women who are planning home births because of having a previous cesarean and seeing the system as the major impact of, on the reason for why they had a cesarean. So I interviewed about 13 women who had had um, a HBAC or home birth after cesarean. And I found some really interesting information. I found that these women, they were really put into a corner, like they would go to the hospital first and say, I really want to have a VBAC, but I don't want X, Y, Z. And these are things that impacted their cesarean last time. Maybe they felt were the reasons why they ended up having a cesarean. But unfortunately, the, the healthcare providers and the healthcare system was not open to negotiation on anything that was outside of policy. So often these women would go, well, I, I still want to have a VBAC. How else can I do this? And they may find a private midwife or they might find other women that have experienced a HBAC and then start looking down that path. Overwhelmingly, uh, there was an amazing response when I, I used to love asking this question. It was, how did you feel after your VBAC at home? And the women would just, after, you know, they may have shared some quite traumatic stories from their first 
first birth, but when I asked them this, they would straighten up and puff out their chest and take a big breath in and then just say, I felt amazing or I felt like superwoman or I felt healed or I felt I could do anything. And that's when I thought, yeah, that's how I felt. Like, okay, this isn't just me. This is this is you feeling really amazing as well after that birthing experience. And it didn't just stop there either. It didn't just stop with, okay, I had this amazing birth experience and now I'll keep quiet about it. This was often a springboard to telling other women about VBAC, to setting up support groups or becoming a doula or becoming a midwife or just being the spokesperson within their group of friends to say, you don't always have to have that intervention and you know you could do this another way and you don't have to have that cesarean. So it had a really major impact on the women who who did have a VBAC at home. And what about your PhD studies? Did you then go back into the hospital system for women having VBACs in hospital and what that experience was like? Yeah, so I then wanted to look at all experiences. So um, I I designed an app because I wanted those moments, you know, when you go to a doctor and you explain um, you know, you've got this script in your head and you know what you want to say in the doctors and then you come out and you're like, why didn't I say all those things? I wanted I wanted that period of reflection that women go through after their antenatal appointments, either with their, their midwife or their doctor. So I designed an app and I got a bunch of women um, to, I got about 14 women this time, to uh, record their experiences after every appointment. And they did this throughout the whole pregnancy and I had over 52 recordings. I also interviewed them all afterwards as well. And I had about half of the women had a VBAC and about half had a cesarean. And I got some really interesting insights. And when I started comparing and contrasting the stories, I realised that there were these four important factors and these four important factors impacted how a woman felt after her birthing experience, regardless of whether she had a VBAC or if she had a cesarean. And those four factors were control, so how in control the woman felt she was of her choices and her wishes and also the outcomes, Um, how confident, so how confident she felt she was in her ability to have a VBAC, but also how confident she felt her healthcare providers were in her ability to have a VBAC. So if she was going to appointments and every time she went, the doctor said, oh, well, you know, you'll be having another another, um, cesarean or... I really believe in you to have a VBAC, that had an impact on the woman's confidence. And then there was the relationship. So that was the relationship she had with the healthcare provider. Was it continuous? Like, did she see the same person throughout? And even if she did, was that a quality relationship? Did that person still not know who she was, even though she was going there all the time? Or did she feel that that relationship was based on respect and trust and equality? And then finally, it was um, active labour. So how active she was in her labour. Was she upright? Was she able to move around? Was she able to use the water? Was she able to do all the things that she learned about how to do um, and all the things that she planned to do during her labour? And they were all scales. So if the woman scored higher, you know, theoretically higher, there wasn't any numbers, but if the woman felt that she had higher confidence, higher control, a better relationship and she was more active, then she felt better after her after her birthing experience. She felt more resolved and she felt more empowered. But if she scored low on those or maybe even just a few of those, then she was likely to feel more disappointed after her birthing experience. So if you're a mum-to-be considering a VBAC, from all that research that you've done, what would you recommend they do? 
Well, I went on and I did a national survey with based on those four factors. And that's where we compared it to model of care. So we then looked at all those factors and compared them to whether they had consensual care with a midwife, so like a midwifery group practice or a privately practicing midwife, whether they had continuity of care with a doctor, so like a private obstetrician or shared care, or whether they had the standard antenatal fragmented type care where you see a different person at every appointment and you don't know who's going to be there for your birth. And what we found there was that women that had continuity of care with a midwife, they were more likely to feel in control, to have more confidence, to have a better relationship and to be more active in labour and more likely to have an upright labour and birth position. And those that had uh, constant care with a, with a doctor and those that had fragmented care had much lower levels in their confidence, control, uh, relationship and active labour. So I think if I was advising women, I would be saying, choose your team. You know, you want to have a team that are around you that believe in you and that know how to help you have the best vaginal birth that you can have and the best preparation for that and to be more likely to have that. And I think... Um, I think when we're looking at women who are planning a VBAC, they want to have a normal vaginal birth. They want to be able to be upright and active and do all the things they weren't able to do before. And midwives are the best professionals for that. You know, midwives are trained in normal labor and birth, they're trained in how to support women. So I would say choose your team. And you wouldn't take, if you were, if you were training for the Olympics, you wouldn't choose a coach who thought you were going to have a heart attack as you were running the race. Or that, you know, if you, if you run this race, then you or your baby will die. Like you want someone who's going to believe in you, someone who's going to be there at the end and say, you've done amazing. Or if you end up on a different race, that they're still there and go, I still think you're amazing and you're still doing an amazing job. So I think women need to really think about who is going to be on their team, who is going to be the best person to really support me to have the birth that I want. And that might also be looking at who the support people are. Who are the people in the room that are going to be supporting you? Is it looking at having a doula? Or is it looking at having someone who really believes in your ability rather than people that are going to be negative during your journey? Hazel, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. That's Hazel Keedle. She's a lecturer in midwifery at Western Sydney University. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.